Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From one ear to another, this is a Mag's Creative Production. From a household name in the raving scene to passionate podcast host, my guest on today's episode is the brilliant Annie Mac, or away from DJing as she prefers to be known these days, Annie McManus. Inspired by understanding the changes people make in their lives, Annie started her podcast Changes, speaking with her guests about their pivotal, life-defining moments together. Through Annie's top pods, I learned that she's passionate about her love of the Literary Friction podcast. We also have a fascinating conversation about how the schooling system can perpetuate issues surrounding race, prompted by her choice of Nice White Parents podcast. Now, I'm a massive fan of Annie, and I reckon you're going to love this conversation. So, without further ado, let's get cast away with my fellow Irishman, Annie McManus. Annie Mac, welcome to Castaway. How are you? Hello, Laura. I'm really well, and it's really nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you. How's the last few months been at home? You know what? The second lockdown has been actually really manageable because my youngest is in nursery and they're open. So he's been trotting off there every day. And my oldest, um, we've formed a childcare bubble this time. So that's what we're allowed to do this time that we weren't allowed to do the first time is kind of link up with another household and mm-hmm. share the childcare. And that's really saved my bacon, to be honest, because I've been able to work and stay sane and have my time. So, you know, I'm really not complaining. It's been totally fine. You talked there just about sharing and and finding your people around you to help you. And I really feel during this time, for me anyway, it's it's talking to other people and it's kind of sharing the experiences. Kind of I'll go back to why I do this podcast and why I kind of think storytelling is so important. But have you felt a change in yourself in the last year? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm I'm 42 and I feel like over the last couple of years, Laura, I've changed so much, <laughs> like at an alarming rate. But it's it's been quite exhilarating. They say that you change from your 20s to your 30s. Like all I can tell you is that when you get to 40, like I personally have felt like I've changed so much. And I was really kind of the, the way I describe my change is more like a kind of an ocean liner. You know, when you're in a massive ship and it's really slowly changes course, it's been like that over a couple of years. And what I've realized is I've tapped into, you know, who I was basically growing up. I've kind of stopped and looked backwards for the first time in my life and kind of tried to remember, you know, where I came from and my roots and what made me and who made me and all that business. And it's kind of allowed me to go down a couple of paths that I've always wanted to go down, which never really had the headspace at the time to do. So one of those was writing and it's been an absolute joy to just like open that door in my head and start learning a whole new process of of writing, which is something I've always wanted to do. So that's been amazing. And podcasting as well. You know, I've been doing that for a few years, but again, just having the freedom to talk about what I want for as long as I like in my foul mouth, as I, you know, we're both Irish, you know, the, you know, the drill. It's yeah. been so liberating that side of it. I've always been a broadcaster, but it's always had parameters. Mm. So just to be able to, to kind of have real autonomy over that has felt really wonderful. And I've appreciated it more than ever, I've got to say in the last mm-hmm. year. I guess we all, you know, we're all multifaceted creatures, but people will kind of know us for one thing or another. And I was mentioning to my little brother that I was going to be chatting to you. And he's like, oh, yeah, Annie Max, she's so cool. Like, I've seen her at so many festivals. And, you you know, you've got the DJ life and the music life. And then, of course, the, you know, BBC Radio One and, mm. and like breaking new artists in the music side. And then... I guess sometimes people probably forget, oh, Annie Max brought out a novel. Like, what, what yeah. she's doing a podcast? She's, she's talking about being a mom. <laughs> How do you kind of tackle and, and open yourself up to kind of showing that side? And I remember like first moving to London, it's such a roller coaster and you're kind of hanging on, hoping not to fall off that you very rarely get a time to stop. Like you're saying there, a time to stop and reflect and look where you came from and look how far you've come. Yeah. So 
I mean, that that's one of the things that's really happened over the last few years is me kind of branching out and creeping away a little bit from that, I guess, that public perception of mm-hmm. Annie Mac. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if you've even noticed, but one of the things I've started doing, like the book is under my full name, Annie McManus, as mm-hmm. is the podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just trying to, I guess, there's an element of slightly starting to feel like I'm growing out of certain like perceptions of who I was because you do you grow up you change you evolve and Mm -hmm. and you know I felt even before the pandemic that the lifestyle of being you know a touring DJ was something that just was not sustainable for me as a mom it just wasn't something I wanted to continue and I was slowly you know really backing out of that and kind of being very uh, particular about the gigs I was doing and doing considerably less so it was weird when the pandemic happened good timing it was it was weirdly yeah. kind of good timing for me because it was like okay I'm not really you know doing this anyway that much anymore and it gives me this headspace to really dive into those other things I want to experiment on Mm -hmm. so that's it's been it's been a kind of uh, quite quite a thing for me because as you say there is a big public perception of me as a DJ and as someone who people just associate me with going out and getting wasted you know and (laughs) and they still do because of my Friday night show and I love that I love that people associate my name with that but there is a kind of as you say we're multifaceted and Mm -hmm. it's kind of slowly trying to get people to see other sides of me too and the nice thing about being an album on the radio and having been on the radio for so long is that a lot of my audience have grown up with me and a lot of my audience have kids of their own now and you get it on Friday nights, you know, you get these parents who've been listening to me for 10 years and, you know, they're sending me videos of their little babies dancing around the kitchen and there's something lovely about that. And those people are the people that will listen to my podcast. So it's quite nice, actually. And let's talk about that that jump from, you know, radio and broadcasting to podcasting because Ida Bowman spoke about this recently on this podcast about you know, when you when you work on a show that's on a big network, you're kind of restricted or you've got five or 10 minutes with somebody or, you know, there's there's certain things that you have to hit or there's certain sound bites that you have to get. For you as a broadcaster, how do you find using the platform of podcasting? Because it is very, it's very different. It's the Wild West. It's yeah. like, like at the start, I found there are no it quite, rules. Yeah, I find it quite overwhelming at the beginning. I'm really impulsive as a person. I'm just like, okay, I want to do something and I want to do it now. And that's exactly what happened for my first podcast, which I called Finding Annie. Yeah. And that's that's something I literally went down to the end of my garden. I was like, I'm doing it. I'm starting it. I'm do. I don't need any help. And there was something really liberating about buying the microphones learning how to use everything again, mm-hmm. like re- editing it myself, going down to my husband's studio, like producing the audio, all of that bit. I loved just being like, I want to do every aspect of this because it was a kind of a visceral reaction to working at the BBC where there's so many departments and islands of people and bureaucracy. And, you know, it's an institution. That's how it has to work. But there was something so liberating in being able to do every aspect myself. But what I didn't do, with that first podcast is think it through in terms of the concept. So it was a really nice concept in that it was me trying to remember about my life and kind of using memories as, as kind of springboards for conversations. But that is, you know, not sustainable because there's only so many memories that you mm-hmm. can dredge up from your past. So it, it lasted a couple of series, but what it served me was just a really good start in terms of finding my feet in podcasting and learning about what it was, learning what I needed to sustain a podcast in terms of teams around me, you know, how much it costs to make it, all of that stuff. And then it was about finding a concept that I felt like had enough legs that could really last me a long time and that could really grow into and also was broad enough conceptually to be able to really go anywhere, but still had a kind of really firm footing in terms of People knew what it was and they kind of knew what they were getting into. And that's where changes came along. Uh, and we're going to talk about that move from finding Annie to changes. But going back to, to finding Annie, and was there any apprehension to like being so open? Because I I would say things, Annie, on a podcast that I would never in a million years say on radio or TV because I kind of forget I kind of mm-hmm. forget that other people are listening because it feels like a chat. Was there ever any stage in the early days, especially when you've, you know, people on who are your mates like Sarah Cox and things like that, where you're like, 
oh, I, I, should I put all of this out? I mean, it's it's a lot of information. It's a lot of personal mm. stuff. Yeah, I mean, there was, but there was also great excitement in yeah. that. You know, the idea of just being able to be totally unfiltered and totally mm. myself and give a really true, you know, depiction of myself to the world. So, you know, I, I, I'm quite an open person anyway. Like, I'll pretty much tell you anything. So it, it, there is there's a danger to that. <laughs> But I did, I have to say, I enjoyed it. There, it was more excitement than apprehension at the start, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But you also, you're someone who spends a lot of their life asking questions. You interview so many people that sometimes it's weird when you as the broadcaster or the normal interviewer are the one who you're still asking questions, but you're given a lot of yourself as well when, when you're mm. normally told not to do that. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, it's something to learn. So I probably in that first couple of series of Finding Annie, I probably just there was a bit of, you know, again, a reaction to holding back. Mm -hmm. And it was very personal. There was a lot of personal people in my life on that Mm -hmm. podcast. My mom spoke, my sister did. And she reminded you of how hard the birth was. Yes. That's what Irish mammies do. Yeah, cheers, man. I took no drugs, Laura. No drugs. And I was back (laughs) in me jeans the week later. (laughs) And by the way, you never woke up at night. Never. <laughs> right, ma, whatever you say. But yeah, so there was a lot of that. But again, it, th- there was something quite lovely. Like the whole point of that podcast was it was it was supposed to act as a kind of archive to my life mm. and, and to help me to kind of mine my past because my memory's shot and, and, and help get these people to come and provide these memories and to kind of enlighten me about moments of my past that would then inform the conversations. And I'm really grateful that it exists, you know, because I think that I will look back on, on those little uh, conversations I had with people dear to me and really value them in time. We're going to move on to changes there when you've had some like really big names and quite a mixture of people on it from Khalees to I really loved you have this I think a lady called Susan is a Herdman she was a lottery winner like such a such a mixture of people actually I do want to also shout out as well I've been I have listened Annie in the last few months to so many pregnancy podcasts (laughs) because that's what I'm going through I mean there's something that's the joy of the of the podcasting world there's a niche for everything and I've listened to all of it the hypnobirthing all of it and just a shout out for any expectant mothers your chat with Sarah was so helpful I listened to it um, uh, this week and it was so helpful because it was so real because it was just a chat and I think there's so many books out there that sometimes you just want to hear two people who've experienced something talk about it in a normal way so just a big shout out for that particular episode because that that has helped me this week I'm so happy to hear that honestly and you know it was you know as you as you could tell there was no holding back on that you know Sarah told that incredible story about the the fishbowl and I'm just like the dog it. licking up the yeah. water breaking. It's <laughs> all so gross, but but, but real, but, but real. Shit floating in the water. Yeah. I was like, there is that, that. but there is it is funny. Like it's so it's so heightened the whole experience of labour that there yeah. is bits that are actually like sidespittingly funny, and you know yeah. you have to remember that aspect of it. I think too many women go into it scared out of their wits, you know. Mm. So I'm glad it provided you some light relief. That's good. So we went from Finding Annie and then you kind of moved into this changes. And yeah. talk to me about that because you said you kind of wanted to find something that had a bit more longevity and something you could really delve into. Yeah, and also something that wasn't all about me. Because mm-hmm. as as you said, it you know, there's only so much of yourself you want to give. Yeah, and, and that's and, fair and, enough. Yeah, and at some point I had to start looking outwards because mm-hmm. to, to, to make a sustainable podcast that would grow and grow, you just it needs to be about other people. And if you're listening, you know that every guest will be asked the same three questions. And those are three questions of change, biggest change of your childhood, biggest change of your adulthood, and the biggest change you want to affect moving forwards. And what's good about those is it really cuts the bullshit. You get straight to the real stuff, you know, and people really, rather than having to dance around to get to those meaningful parts of a person's life, you really just get straight to to the moments that have impacted them and kind of helped shape them as people. So people will talk about, you know, changing schools or, you know, a parent going to prison or parents divorcing, you know, these big things that shape them. And you immediately just get straight into the stuff that matters to them. And, you know, the good thing about change is, you know, it's a word I've thought a lot about and so ironic and weird that we launched this at the start of 2020 when it was a year that... (laughs) Has, has never seen so much change. It's been a very, you know, opportune time to discuss change and how people navigate it and, and how they're affected by it. When I was very young, 
um, sort of growing up, we, we were at a, I was at a private school and, you know, my mum and dad, when they came over, they were very uh, keen to, you know, one of the reasons they came over from Sri Lanka was to give us the best possible start. So they're obsessed with us going to private school, you know, they wanted to give us the best chances and all that stuff. Yeah. And so my mum and dad came over sort of late 70s, sort of mid, mid to late 70s. And then what happened was, we, we were completely unaware of this, but my dad was going through some issues at work, ended up uh, basically in a short course of time, I reckon maybe over a six-month period, three big things happened. Uh, one was that our house got repossessed because my my mum and dad couldn't pa- keep up the payments anymore. My mum also found out that my dad uh, had been seeing another woman for quite a while, so their relationship was thrown into turmoil. And then, just sort of as that was all caught playing out, my dad got arrested and uh, sent to prison. Those three things happened... Like very very quickly, it was it it went from like being properly, I guess, idyllic, you know, proper textbook, yeah. comfortable childhood, and then everything just went, you know, very very quickly, kind of got turned upside down. How old were you? This happened when I was about twelve, twelve, thirteen, something like that. Right, right. And so, what did that mean for your life? Obviously, your house got repossessed, so you had to move somewhere. Where did you go? Initially, we moved into a house that my dad was renting from a friend and then couldn't afford to do that anymore. So we ended up, um, actually, what happened is we ended up living in a, a bed and breakfast because the council, we, we had to go to the council for to, to rehouse us. Right. Um, and they didn't, they had a waiting list or whatever. So they put us into a, a, a bed and breakfast just outside of Crawley where I'm from. That was just my mum, my brother and I, because my dad at that point, I think, wanted to live with this other woman. I think that, that, that was, the, that was the, the situation at that time. And so he wasn't with us. So it was my mum and my brother and myself in that place. And then while my dad was, was at this other woman's place, he got, he got picked up by the police. So we were kind of, we were, on a, we, we, we were Sam's dad for that period. Did you have an idea of who you wanted to have on this podcast? Do you kind of have a list of these are the people that I want to have on? So what I noticed with Finding Annie, again, that was just a really good learning ground, was that, you know, you can only call on so many of your friends. (laughs) And and, and it's kind of, there did seem to be a kind of, echo chamber slightly in terms of podcasting of various people going on various other podcasts and it was like it's the same uh, stories that you're it's hearing the same, same stories and, and yeah. a lot of the time the same type of people you know yeah. Yeah. and I really wanted to put the change story first and foremost and have make sure that we're, we're booking guests based on their experiences of change mm-hmm. so not their profile not their Instagram followers, just how well they can speak of change. Mm-hmm. So you could have someone like Ramesh Ranganathan, who is mm-hmm. all over the telly, but mm-hmm. his dad went to prison and he had to change schools and he lived in a B&B for a year when he was 13. These are huge, like huge seismic changes to someone as a teenager. But then equally, you want to speak to Susan Herdman mm-hmm. about the actual change that so many people dream about, which is what happens when you win the lottery? What are the intricacies mm-hmm. of that? Like when you win the numbers, how do you feel? What happens next? What do you buy? All of that stuff. So it was really important to me to get people that don't get their voices out there, that aren't heard, as well as those voices that are heard. And it's about, for me, it's really important to have a combination of both of those things. And I hope that's what sets changes apart, I think, from other podcasts a little bit, is that, you know, you're going to get someone like Paddy, who you don't know his second name. Mm-hmm. He he was homeless. He was addicted to heroin and spice for years. And he talks to me about getting off the streets and his journey of change to kind of getting a roof over his head. That one was so deep and meaningful to me that he shared his story. It's trying to get voices that you don't hear on the podcast. And and that is actually the hardest bit to do. It's easy to book a celeb because yeah. they all have agents. There's they're promoing something, especially if they're yeah, on promo. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the people, the kind of everyday people 
that that is the hard bit. That takes a lot of booking, a lot of researching. There's a big safeguarding um, responsibility there as well, making sure that the people who come on are willing and kind of experienced mm-hmm. at talking and, and happy to do that. And there's probably a responsibility there for you as well as the host that when you are interviewing the well-known people who are media trained or know how it goes, to then suddenly having someone share their story who isn't really used to having a microphone in front of them. Do you yeah. find that difficult as a broadcaster to kind of, because I guess you kind of really have to be careful how you approach it and the questions that you're asking yeah there's a duty of care there to make sure that they're okay and comfortable with everything and there's a lot of prep done beforehand to make sure that they know roughly where the conversation will go and and how it will go it's just a gentler approach in general yeah yeah well that's podcasting anyway it does feel gentler and you know it's there to have that safe space I did ask you for a list of what you listen to and some recommendations of podcasts because I always mm. I always find it really interesting what people listen to and I guess you do talk about Annie Mac and Annie McManus and I think what people think Annie Mac listens to may be very different to what Annie McManus actually <laughs> listens to um, and you've given me a, a great range here that I'd love to kind of go through with you now if that's okay sure yeah um, and the first one is sticking with books as your book comes out in May literary friction because this this is almost like a book club talking about books I'm assuming you're a book lover yeah, I'm a book lover. I've kind of read books since I was a kid. My mom was always very into books and it, it was a big part of growing up. It was mm-hmm. just part of the fabric growing up. It was never a big deal. They were just always there. I, I remember going to the library like every week and getting three books. Yeah, I was like, I, how library. was I reading three books at a time? Yeah, I, I was the same. And and my mom used to bring us there. And I, I look back at it now and think, you know, I'm so grateful to her for doing that. Mm. She had four kids in five years. She probably couldn't be arsed, you know, but <laughs> it, it, it's very good of her to do that. And I did English literature in university and mm-hmm. loved writing and reading all my life. So for me, it's only actually recently since I've started writing a book that I've got into more literary podcasts. And this mm. one is, again, I'm quite recent to it, but it's just uh, an exploration of books and it goes really deep into the writing process with the authors. And that's what I'm interested in, in hearing how an author prepares and processes writing a book because mm-hmm. it's all so new to me so I'm kind of hungry to learn uh, about how different people do it and the one I've been listening to recently is the Raven Lelaney one and again it's just so interesting the kind of level of detail into the preparation of characters and and, and the kind of development of them. When I started writing this book um, I, I wrote it I feel like the only way I knew how which was to try and render a full person um, with both, you know, humanity and fallibility, which I think are, you know, mean the same thing. Um, I needed her to, to be a, a person who is allowed to make mistakes, who's allowed to kind of to flander and uh, to make the wrong decisions, as I think uh, many of us do. And, and have to and have to make the wrong decisions we make that are part of the kind of trial and error of living. I wanted to afford a black woman that breaks on the page rather than uh, depict a stoic and invulnerable woman who is virtuous um, in her suffering. I wanted that suffering to to be to be felt in a way that that was human. When she's hurt, I wanted it to be clear that she's hurt. You know, I thought I thought that was yeah. important. I do think that adhering to you know the idea that there is a specific way to behave in order to be afforded empathy is a is a thing that flattens your humanity. And so, more than anything, I think I I wrote I tried to write against that mandate of respectability. But I also I think my primary goal was just to depict a black woman who is allowed to kind of to be varied in her humanity. It's quite intimidating because you're like, Jesus, you really thought about this. <laughs> Whereas my book was like, it was like verbal <laughs> diarrhea. I just had to get it out of me and then kind of go back afterwards mm-hmm. and kind of really tweak it and hone it and streamline it. But for hers, you know, it's just interesting to see how different people do it. It was all so planned and kind of thought through before she wrote. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the interesting thing about this podcast because it's a bit each month the um, hosts and they are mates as well you can kind of get that feeling between them Carrie and Octavia they interview an author about their book and they build a show around one of the book's themes but 
every single author seems to have a different process. I remember uh, chatting recently actually to Marion Keys, mm. and she was saying how it takes her years sometimes to do a book, you know, and people kind of expect because mm. she's done so many, she can just knock them out. You know, some people will talk about their process that they do so many words a day. And, and it's the more even listening to this, like everyone's process is different. Did you listen to this podcast before you wrote the book or after? Because I'm thinking before it might be quite yeah. scary. Cause it you're was after. Thinking, yeah, because thinking you must kind of think, oh, I must follow this structure. Yeah, yeah. No, so basically when I wrote the book, there was no time for anything else. It was like <laughs> squirreling away any t- like 20 minutes in an Uber, mm-hmm. like 40 minutes before putting the kids to bed, whatever. It was very, very just any time I had was spent on the book. So there was no time for any other podcast. And in a way, it was kind of good because I was kind of tunnel vision just to get the book done. So it was more recently when I started thinking, Jesus, I'm going to have to start talking about this book. And I, I really had to kind of go back and think about how I wrote it and my motivations for writing it and how it grew in my head and how it came out of me. That's when I started listening to more podcasts like this is to try and learn how to talk about it because I don't really know, to be honest, and I've never really done this before. It's all very new terrain for me. I guess I want to ask you, what were your motivations? The book's called Mother, Mother. It's a novel. It's, I mean, it deals with some big issues, you know, family, yeah. grief, motherhood, and um, the central character of Mary and her son and her disappearance and different things that are going on. It's not necessarily, again, going back, people will judge you and who they think <laughs> Annie Mack is. It's, it's not, not Raven. the book that they think you're going to bring out. There's no Raven going no on, Raven. Laura. And what's interesting is I think a lot of publishing companies were confused by that at the start. Yeah, they they were imagine. like, no, but you're Annie Mack. And yeah. yeah, you've got all these Instagram followers, but well, why aren't you writing about clubbing? And, you know, part of me really wanted to react against that and be like, you know, technically, if I had any sense, I would have started this with a memoir, you know what I mean? And done that. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to write a, a novel and I did. And again, I told you I'm quite impulsive and I just get on with things. So that's what happened. And also, do you find when someone says you can't do something, it makes you want to do it more? Well, I wrote the book and then I brought it to the publisher. Oh, did you? You had yeah, it done? I had it all done. Yeah. Well, I wrote a draft and then I brought it to the publisher and then I needed, it, it, it probably took me another year to actually make that into a sellable book, to be honest. So the motivations for the book were probably some sort of a midlife crisis. As I said, turned 40, started started looking backwards, was like, I've done the same thing for 15 years. It's been the most amazing thing, but it's the same thing. And there was a small element of feeling like I was coasting mm-hmm. and wanting to push myself and just having this real urge to learn something new Mm. and I'd always wanted to write a novel so I started this writing course I kind of signed up for it it's like a one-on-one thing I had to deliver 5,000 words every three weeks for six months and what that did for me was it just forced me to be disciplined and it also introduced me to a writing teacher which was so valuable to me because what I brought to her was a load of just I don't know, not great stuff. And she was able to pick out the stuff that she felt was powerful. So in the book, there's two main characters. There's Mary and there's her son, TJ. Mm -hmm. And initially the book was about TJ. And she was like, you write Mary really well. Try and write Mary more. So so Mary actually became the central character in a way. And it was that. It was just having this objective perspective, just someone who was able to look in from the outside and, and, and help me and guide me. And that's where it started. And then the whole book kind of like a spider's web, it just kind of expanded from there. And I read this book by Stephen King called On Writing. It's a very kind of instructional book about how to write a novel. And he says that all of his books started with a scene. Like Misery started with a man on a bed with a nurse nursing Mm -hmm. him, but there's something dodge about her. Mm -hmm. And it's like that simple. You don't have to have everything worked out before you start. And when I realized that, it gave me so much kind of confidence just to keep on and allow the story to kind of fall out of me and and allow the characters to kind of take control. And and do you enjoy the... I guess the fictional aspect of it, because obviously there's probably elements of people that you know or things that you've seen or read, but because it's fiction, you can kind of explore whatever aspect you want to without people going, well, that's not how it happened or, Mm. you know, that's not exactly what the story should be. Yeah, I did really enjoy that. I've always had an imagination and that came very natural, the idea of kind of creating something from nothing. Mm. But the bit that I found difficult was 
the novel is set in kind of 80s and 90s Belfast and noughties Belfast. And there's a real responsibility there to make sure that, yes, it's fiction, as in the characters are fiction and a lot of the places are fiction, but they're based on real areas of Belfast. And it's in a real time where very big things happened. And it's about making sure that those aspects were true to life. And there was a lot of work involved in that in terms of just everything from like what was playing on the radio at the time to what uniform the policemen were wearing. Mm. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, the novel Mother Mother is out in May. Um, obviously, it's top of everyone's list to get. I guess finding a good book is really hard. And that's why I do this po- like a podcast about podcasts, because I find a lot of people go, I don't even know where to begin. Because you, yeah. you know, sometimes when there's so many out there, like there's so many books, there's so many podcasts, it's quite intimidating when you want to pick up a new book. Um, literary Friction is hosted by Carrie and Octavia. Carrie is a literary agent. Octavia is a writer. They both know their stuff. Um, there's five whole years worth of episodes in the archive. Uh-oh. So if you look looking for a good book before May. There's lots there to look at. Um, I'm going to move on to your next podcast. And it's a it's a first one, series four, and it's the first time this has been mentioned. It's On Being with Krista Tippett. Tell me a little bit about yeah, this. Yeah, so this is, I'm, I'm going to be really honest with you, Laura. I literally only started listening to this yesterday. This was a last minute change because I just yeah. got an email this morning going, uh, I want to add this one yeah. in. And I hadn't, I hadn't heard of it before. I'm so moved by it. Like, I've already shared it with five friends, this, mm-hmm. this, this episode I was listening to. So, it's one of those ones where when you say what it's about people, it, it's kind of hard to pinpoint, but it's a, po- a podcast on what it means to be human. So mm-hmm. it's about spirituality. It's about human nature. It's about nature. You'll have an episode about birds and ornithology, and then you'll have an episode about religion, and you'll have an episode about the one I listened to that I was really moved by is with a, an author called Catherine May, and she wrote a book called Wintering, and it's about the idea, the concept of wintering, and how it's become a very unfashionable thing to rest, and resting as something that is as useful as productivity, and the idea of stopping and the association of that with winter. It's kind of the idea of hibernation, I suppose. Mm. But she talks about it so beautifully and so convincingly. How can I come back into an equilibrium rather than keep bouncing between extremes? Yeah. You know, I'd I'd love to hear you read a bit of your book. It, It really does read in places like like a meditation it's a very it's a very mm. lovely restful retreating experience no problem a surprising cluster of novels and fairy tales are set in the snow our knowledge of winter is a fragment of childhood almost innate all the careful preparations that animals make to endure the cold foodless months hibernation and migration deciduous trees dropping leaves This is no accident. The changes that take place in winter are a kind of alchemy, an enchantment performed by ordinary creatures to survive. Dormice laying on fat to hibernate, swallows navigating to South Africa, trees blazing out the final weeks of autumn. It is all very well to survive the abundant months of spring and summer, but in winter we witness the full glory of nature's flourishing in lean times. Plants and animals don't fight the winter. They don't pretend it's not happening and attempt to carry on living the same lives they lived in the summer. They prepare, they adapt, they perform extraordinary acts of metamorphosis to get them through. Wintering is a time of withdrawing from the world, maximising scant resources, 
carrying out acts of brutal efficiency and vanishing from sight, but that's where the transformation occurs. Winter is not the death of the life cycle, but its crucible. It's a time for reflection and recuperation, for slow replenishment, for putting your house in order. Doing these deeply unfashionable things, slowing down, letting your spare time expand, getting enough sleep, resting, is a radical act now, but it's essential. Oh, thank you. <laughs> there were some really difficult words in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you did You did an excellent job. It was yeah, wonderful. I mean, you, you say... You know, you call these the unfashionable things. It's just like even when you look at these individual words, some of those difficult words like recuperation, <laughs> slow replenishment, even reflection. Oh, there's a sense in which um, everything in our culture and our cultures, both the culture that you live in and the one I live in, mm. the culture of the West, I think, inclines us to resist these things. Mm. And to see rest and the need for rest as shameful yeah. Like rest is something that you only ever get forced into or yeah. that it has to be commodified somehow too. You know, that rest can only be something that you've paid to do, you know, a fancy retreat or a day at a spa or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you fancy doing. Um, and I, I think we've just got that all wrong. Like rest should be part of the simple rhythm of our day mm -hmm. and of our week and of our year, you know, in different ways. I don't think we know what rest even is anymore, to be honest. I, I, I think we've lost track of that. Uh, I just found the production elements just, it's so well produced. The music is so exquisitely brought in and out and it's interspersed with readings from the book. And it's quite meditative as a listen. And there's these huge questions and it's hard to get that right. But Christina Tippett is exceptional in terms of the questions she asks. And you learn stuff but it's also, you come out the end of it feeling calmed, definitely, I, I found. There's also episodes that are just poetry readings as well. Mm. I was cycling home from work last night in a kind of misty fog and with poems just in my head and I was just in my element. It was so gorgeous. So it, it's quite thought-provoking in that way. You mentioned there you were listening to it when you were cycling. Um, the commute seems to be a good time when people listen to podcasts. I'm just wondering, especially with a podcast like this, do you find it quite personal? Do you, do you prefer to listen to them alone rather than have it on in the house when there's other people maybe listening to it? Definitely, definitely. Podcasts are my time. And because my time is very precious, I, I, I kind of keep them to myself and it's lovely. It makes it more special. I bring them on a walk with me or a run with me. I find running with podcasting so much easier, actually. You get, mm. you, you just, you just lose yourself in it. You just kind of stop thinking about what you're doing and you can get, get a good few miles out of the way with a podcast. I actually got into podcasts because of running, because I used to listen to like an album or songs, but a song is about three or four minutes. So I used to count how many songs to know like, okay, I've been running for six, seven right. minutes or I've been running right. for, and I found with a podcast, because they vary so much in length between like half an hour, some can be two hours, some can be longer. Yeah. When I stuck on a podcast and just listened to a chat, I was like, oh my God, 40 minutes has gone by. Mm, yeah, it's wicked. You just lose yourself in it. Yeah. I'm going to move on to the next one, which is Nice White Parents. Tell me mm. about this, Annie. So again, this was recommended to me by a friend. And I found this one absolutely intriguing. Like some podcasts you just put on for escapism and yeah. for the idea. This kind of voyeuristic aspect to some podcasts as well, when you're just listening to, to two mates have a chat. Yeah. But this one was very educational. It's an exploration of the gentrification of inner city New York schools. And I guess it, it's pertinent to me because my kids go to a like a state school in London mm -hmm. and it's something I'm quite aware of the kind of diversity in the school and how the area that I've lived in has changed and been gentrified and how that's affected this state school and it's so interesting it's done by the same people who do serial yes. so it's it like so well researched and what I found really enjoyable about it was it goes through the whole process of how a school becomes gentrified and it's from every angle so it's from the very well-meaning new parents that have moved into the area and how they want to introduce a new French program into the school and what mm -hmm. that means and the new fundraising team and you are also hearing from someone on the PTA who's been on the PTA for 10 years and who's mm -hmm. like a Latino woman who's like fully part of the community and 
the person who's making the podcast is in the PTA meetings. Mm-hmm. So you get to hear them as they happen and you get to hear these conversations and you get to hear these clashes as they play out, these kind of cultural clashes. And it's so interesting, that aspect of it, the fact that she was able to get that into and immersed into the school and the workings of the school. And then there's other episodes that are just about the history of segregation in schools and how the education system was totally unequal and how black people were treated in New York. And that I found really, you know, horrifying, but again, so educational to learn how the system worked. And so I just learned a lot basically from that podcast. And it's another one that I've recommended to a lot of people, a lot of the school moms, just in terms of being able to see the bigger picture and how these things can play out from every angle. It's weird when you kind of go up to someone, another parent and go, you should, you should listen to nice white parents (laughs) podcasts. And they're like, what are they trying to say? What is she trying to tell me? I did think about sending it to the entire PTA and then I thought, I think that's a bit confrontational. But no, it has like, it actually spread around our school anyway. A lot of the other moms had, had kind of been aware of it. So yeah, I think it's just a really good example of like world class production in a Mm -hmm. podcast. Yeah. And it raises many questions, but also, as you said, the way they do it, the way you're immersed in it, the you're in the PTA meeting. And that's why I love podcasts because sometimes when it's two people chatting, whoever's listening to this now, hopefully they feel like they're just sitting with us having a chat. They're they're part of it. And I guess they do this really well because they take it to another level while, while you're actually in there, you're hearing the conversations, you're, you're hearing where like almost a division begins you know you can see that process you can see it unfold yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent moving along to your next recommendation and we're a big fan of this because we actually had blind boy on the first series um blind boy and i mean blind boy for anyone who doesn't know i mean talk about a multifaceted person incredible and Irish, but um, I feel like globally recognized now. And it's funny because he started this podcast kind of to go alongside his first book. And then the podcast kind of just took over. Yeah. I- I'm sure you knew about Blind Boy because of rubber bandits and things like that. But when did you kind of fall in love you know with it? What? It wasn't from the start with Blind Boy. I okay. think it was it was a couple of years ago, basically. Yeah. I-, I wanted to include an Irish podcast. And I think that there's so much about Blind Boy that is uniquely Irish (laughs) and there's I think there's a real pride about how he has done his podcasting in such an uncompromising way like as we discussed there's no rules in podcasting Mm -hmm. but there is like basic rules in broadcasting that are drummed into me which is you know maybe don't go on for over an hour, maybe switch up the music or you know maybe introduce some dynamism in the listen. Blind Boy just talks And he has the same little piano backing track Mm -hmm. and absolute testament to his brain and his research that he can do that for over an hour Mm -hmm. and you can be completely enthralled in what he's saying. I just think his mind is so fascinating in terms of how he pulls ideas together and threads things together into, into a story and into a theory. And you learn so much. And again, it's quite conversational. It doesn't feel educational in that way. Mm -hmm. It's like you're hearing from a friend. I got a small vibe of positivity today. I I noticeably heard the sound of birds. I heard the sound of birds properly for the first time, which signaled that we're coming out of winter. And it was an enthusiastic type of bird song. I think they were robins. They looked like robins, but there was an enthusiasm to the bird song. Maybe I was projecting. Maybe I was projecting onto the birds. Projecting intentions and motivations onto the birds. But I genuinely, when I heard the birds today, that's the first time I've properly heard them since fucking September. Actually, there's, there's an interesting thing, man. And I wonder if I'm right or wrong. So I heard birds singing today and legitimately there was an, an enthusiasm and a motivation and a, and a sense of like a goal focused tone to how they were singing. Like genuine, that's the vibe I got. The vibe I got was like the birds had just gotten out of bed and they have some shit planned and they're all chatting about how to get it done. And they really, they want to support each other in doing it. No one was complaining, right? But then, 
when I hear birds in September like the swallows that are up on a, on a pylon getting ready to leave and they're all chattering that, that fills me with uh, a sad feeling like I'm being left out you know that they're going to have to do something that doesn't involve me like when your friends your friends have got tickets to go and see a, see a, a gig or a festival and you didn't bother getting tickets and now you're like really disappointed because they're heading and you're not and is that real or am I projecting onto the birds because it's the 3rd of March lads so legitimately the birds literally they've got shit to do they're thinking about building nests mating laying eggs alright they're also thinking about the fucking ground isn't cold anymore the insects are doing their thing. We've got more food. We have reason to be excited and happy. But I'm aware of this. It's spring. And I also notice the smell in the air and the different quality of light. Am I projecting an optimistic enthusiasm onto those birds? Or is there literally enthusiasm in their bird song? I feel like with him, there's a real late night feel to his podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, you should be kind of in a smoky haze somewhere, mm-hmm. in a kind of dimly lit room, like with him beside you it's authentic enough. as well isn't it it's yeah. just authentic and he's and, and you mentioned it's hugely popular now between 1 and 1.5 million monthly listens which is crazy and you say there there are no rules sometimes you know he's he's at home he sometimes he kind of likes to sit out in the park he loves a bit of asmr there's he's puffing away at the vape the whole time <laughs> um, which i actually find quite soothing and normally when my other half yeah. does it i find it irritating and he's got the plastic bag on his head you can hear the ruffles and you kind of can hear all these sounds but it kind of works it's not i would want to say it's not slick because it is slick but you know what i mean it's very authentic it's very him in his space yeah, totally, totally. And that's what makes it special is that it's just him. You can only get that from him. So it's it's totally unique and totally authentic. And you can't make that stuff up. I'm just, I'm glad it exists. I'm happy that it's there. And it's a wonderful, shining example of doing things your way. And he's created this space. Again, we're talking about uh, taking the space away from the conventional broadcasters. And I think I think he's probably in the same ballpark as Ireland's largest radio stations, his downloads. And he's wow. created that himself. Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that brilliant? And and even, I know he does Patreon and things like that. Like, And that didn't necessarily mean this to become his main income or he was doing it out of passion. And now he's created this this whole path for himself. Yeah. I guess as an Irish person, especially living away from home, I, you know, I always kind of go, I always try to look for the Irish podcast, sometimes for an accent. I just like hearing yeah, the accent. I know. I it just know. feels nice and homely. Yeah, I agree. It, there's something lovely about it. Yeah. Uh, although he did tell me that he's been offered quite a lot of money to voice porn. Um, oh my God, <laughs> Laura. With that accent. And I was like, take the money if you want. Yeah. <laughs> I was oh, like, the, he's a- but knowing Blind Boy, it would be like, fish porn or something like some sort of like <laughs> bird porn some sort of weird oh, <laughs> take on it um, and I, I would watch it finally I want to go to your last recommendation which is I mean the legend Louis Theroux grounded with Louis Theroux yeah. I mean he is when it comes to documentaries and storytelling he is kind of the king so it made sense that he would do a podcast yeah it did and you know it's it's a good it's a good concept again it's just conversations with people who are stuck in the house and a couple of episodes really stuck with me. Helena Bonham Carter, mm-hmm. Sia and Rose McGowan. And what I liked about it is that I think there's a tendency for some people just to cut a lot of the extraneous stuff around a conversation in a podcast. You know, Louis' podcast deliberately keeps all of everything in. The very beginning of the conversation, all the technical mess ups, when they get cut off and then they come back, all of that is kept in. There's a real voyeuristic aspect to that. You really get to hear how the guest relaxes into something and kind of gets into full flow of the conversation. And you get to hear the bad bits too. Like with Rose McGowan, Louis got a proper telling off. Like <laughs> he, he, he spoke a lot about his opinions on the Me Too movement. And I was getting a little frustrated listening mm. to it because I was like, this, this needs to be about her. And at one point she did kind of stop him and say, you know, it was a very uncomfortable moment. And I thought it was real testament to them and him 
that that was left in. They left it in, yeah. Yeah. And and that's what I like, is that you kind of get a warts and all situation. And, and obviously he's a documentarian. He understands that those bits are what makes a documentary, is that kind of uncomfortable aspect of viewing it or listening to it. So I do like that. I, I feel like you really get all of the guest, all of them, not just the pretty bits, not just the rehearsed bits, but every single aspect of it. And there's some really deeply emotional parts as well, which Sia... I really felt like there was moments of the conversation when she was really on the edge and it was a very tense listen, not necessarily a comfortable one at all, but one that really stuck with me for a long time. I think that's one of the joys of Louis Through. He he doesn't necessarily make people comfortable. And I always feel as a broadcaster, your job sometimes is to make people comfortable. There's an instinct, isn't there? To to be liked. yeah. Yeah, and you're like, are you okay? And you don't want to kind of push the questions. Well, even in his documentaries, he kind of, I feel purposely does that to get something else out of someone. Mm. But he does it in a charming way. That's the thing with Louis, that he is able to be charming and to feel like there's a slight kind of, Oh. Almost like sometimes I feel like naivety, and it's not because he's very smart. But you know, he'll of ask course. a question to be like, "Oh, is that that way?" Or and yeah. like you're doing that on purpose. Yeah. Or there's a clumsy kind of self-deprecating yeah. air to it. As yeah. Well. It's like it, it's very clever. Yeah. Yeah. That's grounded with Louis Theroux, and actually the most popular podcast for BBC Sounds during lockdown last yeah. year. What an incredible list of recommendations there, and and some great new ones which I have never heard of before. And I guess that's the joy of. I remember when I first started this, doing a podcast about podcasts. I'm like, what happens if we run out of podcasts? And Annie, (laughs) we're not going to. This has been so many. Do you ever think there can be too many people bringing out podcasts? No, because the more I learn about them, the more I've, you know, the more podcasts, the more competitive the market's going to be. So it's just going to up the game, isn't it? It's going to make people have to try harder and reach further. And I think that's a good thing. You know, Mm. I'm really excited about the explosion of podcasts as a format. And I think it's very liberating and very freeing. And I like the lack of censorship involved and the lack of parameters. I find that exciting. So I just feel like we're only at the beginning of it, really. And I'm excited for how podcasting will grow and evolve over the years. Talking about this lack of parameters, where do you want to see changes go? Is there a particular type of story or is there a particular person that you've been looking to get on for a while? Well, I mean, I always aim big and and try and get loads of people. But there's, you know, I guess for me, it's not about as much as the big profile people. Some of them would be amazing. It's just about the story and it's about finding those people that can tell it in, in, a, in a way that affects and impacts people and, and where it stays with them. You just want stories that are going to stay with people. I feel really just excited about the future of changes in terms of where we can go with it and, and the people that we can get on. And I feel like it's growing and people are getting to know it and, and people are coming to us now. And that's a nice feeling, you know, rather than chasing people. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, yeah, I'm just really excited to, to keep growing it. We're only in series three, you know, so there's a long way to go. Annie, thank you so much for joining me on Castaway. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, Laura. And that's it. Another episode down as we delve deep into my guest's audio world. I hope you get cast away by today's top podcast picks. Yeah, I just said that, sorry. All of the podcasts we've mentioned today are included in the episode show notes. Now, if you love this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review. And if you'd like to receive weekly installments of Cast Away delivered straight to your phone, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's it from me. Take care. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. 
Code PROGRAM.